Welcome to Whistleblowers, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Greg Kerr. Now you're listening to Frankie Davids, some of his famous song, Have You Ever Been to King's Cross? And uh, you've joined Whistleblowers, our weekly podcast, episode 20. The silly season has started in Sydney. It's December 2020. And today we're going to take you up to King's Cross, past and present, and we're going to find out what happened in King's Cross, the red light district, and what's happening in King's Cross today. Stone and welcome to another edition edition of Whistleblowers. We're talking about a part of Sydney that you know very well, King's Cross. Yes, well, back in the days of the 70s, my, my one time outing into King's Cross was to lay girls. But since then, I've learned a lot about King's Cross. And it's interesting the vibe you get as Christmas comes. People will go into King's Cross and show girls where it was the Pink Panther back in the 70s would get up and running. And even today with the COVID shutdown we've had, the stripper Rama's now gone. We've got that as Dulcie's Bar. And we've got um, a new scene happening in King's Cross. The coffee scene, the gin distillery has come, the uh, French coffee or Italian coffee, or the, the vibe is totally different. It certainly is different. And yeah. for those listeners who are not from Australia, King's Cross is a name you might hear in London. London has its own King's Cross, but the one that we're talking about today is an inner city locality of Sydney, New South Wales, Australia. It's around about two kilometres east of the central business district in the local government area of the city of Sydney. And it's bounded by suburbs such as Potts Point, Elizabeth Bay, Rushcutters Bay and Darlinghurst. The locals call it The Cross. The area was once known, as Jennifer just said, for its music halls and grand theatres. It was rapidly transformed after World War II, as we just heard, as the troops' influx and returning visiting parties came to Garden Island Naval Base. It became known as Sydney's night, nightlife, entertainment and red light district. However, as Jennifer will tell us, many of the nightclubs, bars and adult entertainment venues closed due to the Sydney lockout laws. And today, as we've heard, it is a mixed locality offering services such as the railway station, gyms, supermarkets. It's a very different place 
today, Jennifer? Yes. And we've got Daddy's Burgers have just opened on Darlinghurst Road, I noticed. And I haven't tried them as yet. Uh, so we we do have a different diversity. We have McDonald's is still there, which you can normally find some people sitting there for a while, but they get told to move on. Uh-huh. So you can't just sit in one place for too long. So it's no longer a place where people can come and gather. Well, they do in the hotels. There's um, quite a few hotels that are still working and getting that. But what I noticed when I went to King's Cross that some of the bartenders and some of the strippers and that would work in many of the clubs. They went from one to another. And you started to think, well, how did they get paid? And I asked them and they all said that their boss was Johnny didn't matter what club, their boss was Johnny. Wow. Now, that's interesting. So, uh, for those that have listened to previous episodes of this broadcast, Jennifer's done a lot of uh, research. She's a crime investigator. She's a novelist. She's written prolifically on, you know, King's Cross, and she knows this area well. So, we thought it's the party season. We'll end the year, our last episode, with all things party. Now, the King's Cross district was once known as Sydney's Bohemian Heartland. Uh, The illegal trading of alcohol once happened there. It was notorious in the area up until the uh, mid-last century, led by rival brothel owners. Uh, The the area was home to a large number of artists, including writers, poets. It was quite an innocent area. From the 1960s onwards, King's Cross also came to serve as both the city's main tourist accommodation and entertainment mecca, as well as its red light district. It thereby achieved a high level of notoriety out of all proportion to its limited geographical extent. So Sydney's most notorious illegal casinos operated with impunity for many years, although it was known to all and located only yards from the Darlinghurst Police Station. Much of this activity can be related to, if you have listened to our previous episodes, Abe Saffron. Abe Saffron, commonly known as Mr Sin, or the boss of the cross. Yes, and that's a key way of investigating. So Abe Saffron was called the boss of the cross. He took over from Tilly Devine. And then we had Kate Lee. So there was, like, a history But then there hasn't been that much focus on, but it was Louis Bayer became the next um, boss, or Mr Sin, and then Bill Bayer came. And then when Bill Bayer got put into prison from the Woods Royal Commission, we had John Ibrahim with the bloodline of the drug network as the Woods Royal Commission declared. So, you know, and they haven't been able to get get him on his drugs. So you start to think when all the strippers and that were saying they're they're paid by Johnny, I started to work out, like, that means that each club or each business links in. But what I didn't notice in the beginning and what I have learned since was one gang. Now, I got told one side of the street is one gang. The other side of the street is another gang. I took it at self-value. But this is... A sex worker that told me this, her name's Elle in my books, and she had been in King's Cross for a long time before I got there. She had been 
some called her the grandmother, but we know that there was a grandmother above her. But she had been there, um, you know, um, teaching the younger ones, grooming them as they moved up the chain. So she was very high up and she was one that I followed. So um, she, she'd send people out to do different jobs for her. And what I noticed was she would walk with a plastic bag and all the way down to Woolloomooloo. And as she went, she'd go to different places. But that was a drugs drop off. But if it's in a plastic bag, she could drop the bag and no one would think it was her. She could say, hey, that's not me. And very hard, unless I had her on camera, to prove it. So she was very well protected, I thought, because the cops would come and pick her up at places and walk her home. And I asked her, how come they picked you up? Oh, I had a bit of cash on me, love. And that was some of her thing. She had the cash. And what I noticed was her unit in the Astoria Hotel. She had been in there for what I had been able to calculate for five years. Now her ex was a detective in King's Cross and was one of the um, inspectors that linked into Tegan Lane going missing. So, so like there was links that I had. But she would walk the strip of King's Cross at four o'clock every day. She doesn't now, but she's too well known now, but she wasn't back then. And by doing that, she'd go for the pickup of the drugs that was happening, and that would move from place to place. You know, I talked about it once, the subdividing in Love Machine was happening, and I got the police onto it. They used to pick up in allegedly Porky's too, at four o'clock, and she would go into there at four o'clock and get her whatever it was, a stash. She used to say to me, oh, it's only my $20 bag of cannabis for the night. But it wasn't, it was more than that because she walked the streets delivering. You know, and you started to think, wow, this was the safe house. If she had that much drugs, she could supply all these people. They would come to her. So while she was feeding within the Astoria Hotel, she was protected from street dealing. So the police couldn't get her. And that's very hard. You know, that, that level of catch your street dealer, but then the one above them's feeding them. Then one above that is supplying it. And then how the um, pyramid selling goes. So it was a whole community and uh, it was a lifestyle. It was a way of life. It was a, it was a income for people living on uh, on this in this area of Sydney. Let's have a listen to some of the live reports from the time. Elizabeth Burton started her on-stage career in the 60s as a go-go dancer. There were clubs on either side of the street. There was the Stardust around the corner and the Stardust that was like a go-go cage you danced in. So you would run from one show to the other. It was exciting, dynamic, fun, free. Hats were an important part of your act. They were a very important part of the act. A pair of pants that covered your buttocks. Then we were allowed to show our 
and then they wanted you to show their ovaries. A refrain that's been repeated time and again. And so the council is planning to try and clean up the cross. So we've got all types of shows going on in the yeah. cross. Go I've, on, Jennifer. I've got a bit on Elizabeth Burton. So she was a larger-than-life character credited with pioneering the modern art of striptease of the colourful streets of King's Cross. So she completed a hairdressing apprenticeship that packed away her scissors in favour of a miniskirt and knee-high boots in 1967. And then she started go-go dancing in a cage at the Redfern RSL. Now that go-go... You know, that cage dancing, that was really in. Yes. And you can remember seeing it on the James Bond movies. Yes. You know, and we all loved that. Yeah. You know, um, then it was after the Vietnam War where she danced for our troops that a striptease career started at the Psychedelic Funhouse in New York. She got all the way to New York and then back to Sydney in 1971 where she auditioned at David Gandali's Barrel Theatre, a well-known King's Cross strip palace. With her natural agility and grace, she was reputed to be Australia's highest-paid stripper by the mid-1970s, and she can lay claim to being one of the first professional pole dancers, having performed on stage with a pole at the Pink Panther in 1976. I got off the plane, she said, at 9am. I rang the choreograph, Judd Lane, and by 9pm that night I was on stage. I did not have a costume, but he said, look, I have got a prop that nobody else wants to use. It's a pole. Do you know how good the pole dancing, it, it had become a flavour in King's Cross, Stripperama, they, they used it there. Uh, Porky's Clubs, they used it there. Uh, showgirls, they were using it there. But then it, it's just died. But it's great exercise. Yeah, great exercise. Yeah. Fascinating. I don't feel that we're as unique as we used to be because Priscilla did a fantastic thing and brought drag into the open, but it took away the barriers. The big shows closed, Tranny Bingo emerged. Had to cart in the big boss. Now you're seeing the um, security guards from the strip clubs. You're seeing the security guards from the few pubs and clubs that have... All right, Jennifer. So, you know, uh, from the late 1960s, we've heard things changed and drug-related crime was one of the area's main social problems. In 2001, despite controversy... First medically supervised injecting centre uh, was established where users of illegal drugs can inject themselves 
at a safe injection site in clean conditions at a shopfront site in King's Cross. The injecting room is credited with reducing the occurrence of fatal overdoses in the injecting drug using community, as well as reducing the number of needles left in the street. Okay, so drug, you know... That, that only works from like 9 or 10 in the morning till 9 at night, and most of the drug sales are done after that. So you start to wonder who's actually going there. And what I noticed was people would get off the train and run to there. It's, it's a little bit like a no-go zone, even though the police stand around a bit, that they can walk in a certain area and not get fleeced. Right. And they're headed there. Um, so so it, the, the Darlinghurst, the, the heroin centre there, it, it was to stop the deaths. And it has done that. It has cleaned up the streets. But really, it was just legalising something that was happening in Porky's anyway. And that's how the council came to that decision to create that, was after they had watched and seen Porky's was doing it. So you think, well, Porky's is just across the road. But they couldn't stop the drugs going through Porky's. But what they have done is created this legal injecting room for an illegal substance and they actually give you the equipment to take the plastic coating off the drugs you know how they um they inject those but if you get the plastic coating in your blood it kills you so like there is uh, there is equipment there but most of the drug users that i've met hardly ever go there yeah yeah so, which is interesting and it's part of a common debate worldwide really about uh, drugs being a health issue, not a crime issue, but very much in New South Wales we've got uh, a mentality amongst politicians and also you know, large percentages of the population that think that this is not a health issue, it's a crime issue and these people should be locked up, they should be penalised, they should be you know, put away throw away the key but the truth is many people do come back from addiction and live you know happy productive lives but really do we need it in the middle of darlinghurst road on the golden mile it could be in the back street like do we really need the injection room in everybody's face so saying this injecting room you go and you can go by in any of the shops your heroin shop and go there and have it is it a good look might be why they don't, not many of the people are going there. Well, they get picked up as, oh, that person's going there every day. We'll then look at who they're dealing with. Right. So, yeah, okay. Catching the mice, as you said last yeah. week, the mice on the street. Now, you mentioned the Astoria Hotel. Have a listen to this bloke. This filming in the city, and one at Newtown called uh, Billabong Gardens is quite nice. But another one I went to... Now, at, at King's Cross, there's an old joint called the Astoria, and it's got 1930s decor, and it's got lounge chairs in the room, and it's got oil paintings on the wall, and it's quite lovely to look at. It's just like a real old-fashioned hotel for, for renting rooms out. Anyway, I, I, I needed a, a room, and I was dressed like a, a, an old guy for this movie, so... After I knocked off work, I went straight and I said, oh, I better not go to the classy motels. I'll go to this, this old one called the Astoria on Darlingus Road, King's Cross, opposite the Swans Club. 
Now, I warn you, none of you is better go there because uh, I got in there and I lay down and uh, it was 80 bucks, so you'd expect it to be classy, you know, because you can get a normal motel room for 70 or 80 bucks in Australia. And uh, I lay there and I felt a little bit itchy and uh, I said, no, it's my imagination. They wouldn't have bed bucks, not in an $80 joint in Australia. And... Uh, and two hours later, I woke up and, oh, shit, I had three red marks, three big red bites on my arm, and uh, I, 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 I run my hand over the sheet. The sheet was white, luckily. So All right, well, we've heard enough from that guy, but I tell you, he's a character. His eyes are looking out of the side of his head. And the Astoria Hotel, the great old hotels of King's Cross, there was more than just bed bugs going on in this hotel, Jennifer. What else was happening there? Yes, well, if you listen to him a bit further on, he talks about all the people going from room to room in the middle of the night and the bed noises he could hear. But really, when I went to King's Cross, the people that came out of Astoria, they told a lot of them linked back to Bankstown. They call, they call themselves the Bankstown boys. And that's where I couldn't work it out. You know, if... If I was getting the right information, then King's Cross was controlled by Johnny. Well, you start to think this Johnny Unique was pretty unique. And you started to think, well, how does it all fit together? And then I was told by Elle, who lived at the Astoria, and she was one that I knew was dealing drugs, like lots of drugs. And when I worked out, she had been getting paid by the police on information. And that information allowed her to pay for a second room in the Astoria. It was starting to unravel my feathers a bit. And I kept writing to the government. And then I wrote to the Hotel Association. Could they look into King's Cross as to the hotels where people live continually, never moving? Even for the sex workers... And the two hotels was the Budget Hotel and the Astoria Hotel. And the Budget Hotel had been in the Woods Royal Commission linked to Abe Saffron and sending money to South Africa. That was quite well documented. But the Astoria Hotel had not been, though it had been around for years. But what we noticed was the rooms were the same level as... Um, like the verandas of the Swan Club. You could look down onto the beef and bourbon. Uh, it was somewhere where Alex, when he was watching, he'd say, you watch the Astoria. And also you could look just to the left of that area across to the Alamone Fountain yeah. and the King's Cross Police Station and that whole area. Yeah. A very good prominent spot to watch. Yes, but you'd see the windows and the curtains and like if someone's looking out, they'll have the window shut because they don't want to be seen. And then they'll be watching who passes. So if they're waiting for their drug dealer and they know the times, they only got to watch a certain spot. So from their room, they'll be able to see. Now, the Astoria Hotel is three levels above shops. And the shops are normally well occupied there and it goes into Lankley corner um lane but i got told by l that there was a room in there that no one knew about that the drugs were in and i started to think why can't the police go in there 
And that was part of... So I started complaining 2011. 2012 is um, this email that I'm reading now. So Elle had been in room 1112 for five years, moving her drugs, and no one had been able to pick her up. But she'd come and go, but she was there mainly. It was only when her ice juice went up, she'd go away and clean herself up and then come back. So they didn't want to look as though they were really paddling in the drugs too much. She had clients that were big people in King's Cross that came in and they would move, you know, a thousand odd drugs whilst they were having her. So they were um, big players. Some of them doctors. She liked the doctors, I know that. She liked the ones that had money. Yeah. Well, a few years ago, little Peter Overton on Channel 9 introduced us to some of the King's Cross hookers. It's a life we've seen on underbelly, but for most of us, is hard to imagine. Yet in Sydney, prostitution is a thriving industry, from the women who earn thousands in a single night to the desperate youngsters scratching out a living on street corners. Alison Langdon has spent the past month getting to know them, how they got there and how they survive. It's 11 o'clock, the strip on a Thursday, but it could be any night. Do you want to come upstairs? Uh, how much? 165. Four, seven, six. How long? Half an hour. In one block, our cameraman is asked five times if he wants sex. Would you be interested in coming up for a nice massage, private show? Their desperation is obvious. Hey, yeah. Is it hard life? It can be, yeah, definitely, yeah. Mm. Debbie's 42. Her story's tragically common. Sexually abused as a child, she ran away from home in country in Varel when she was 11. Shelley's five-year-old daughter is in foster care. Until a year ago, the 22-year-old was just a stripper. To earn more money, she decided to try prostitution and then turned to heroin. Whereabouts? What, in the back alley? They work alone. No one looks out for them. Here, a man pulls up in his car. For as little as $20, the girl gets in. Illegal brothels now outnumber the legitimate ones roughly four to one. The United Nations believes more than a 1,000 women a year are smuggled into the country to work mm. in such places. Once in, they become trapped in a vicious cycle. They're given drugs, then must work to pay back that debt but never can. Night after night, Chaplain Rosemary Richardson roams the streets in the Salvation Army van. It's taken a long time, but the girls now trust and talk to her. Would you like a Ali, that's just desperate for those women. How did it affect you hearing their stories? All right, so a great little report there, Jennifer, and it sort of uh, sad side of the whole story. But nevertheless, what you're saying with the Astoria Hotel, etc., the girls are a big part of what goes on in King's Cross, or used to be. Yes, that's right, because a lot of the spots have gone. So Porky's, the girl that was offering herself for 165 with sex, um, their, their ratio at the time was 60% went to Porky's and 40% went to the girl if they used their facilities. So that's the, the rationing. And they were all out, you know, chatting up the guys. 
they were doing their hustle. It was all about the hustle. But most of it, ones that are moving thousands in a night, is all about the drugs they moved. And that's what the link was between the clubs. They were really a drug dealer standing out the front legally and the police didn't touch them, didn't seem to be able to get them. And you start to think, but they never run out of drugs in King's Cross. Never, ever. That's what the police have been, never been able to expose. How this one gang in King's Cross, if it is, always has drugs. That's how protected they are. And very interesting today, the ongoing operation of tourist accommodation, the proximity to social housing and healthcare and the convenient public transport to the city result in a very different population, both residents and passing through King's Cross. Since the introduction of the lockout laws in March 2014, and if you want to Google lockout laws King's Cross, you can learn all about what happened, big changes took place and several nightclubs and pubs in the area have closed down. Yes, and just in the last couple of weeks, we've had some massive changes in the pubs. Green Park Hotel has been sold, and that's gone to St Vincent's Hospital. And then we've got the Kinsellas and the Court House, Court Hotel, up on um, Oxford Street. They're both sold, so they're going to be turned into a mega, park, mega pub. Uh, we've got Potts Point Hotel. That's pretty um, clean and decent, really, King's Cross Hotel. Um, Potts Point Hotel is the old sugar mill. Well, all the guys that were dealing drugs would go in and use one machine to put their money into. Why one poker machine? Well, that links back to the days of Lenny McPherson and him moving in one poker machine to pick up the drug network money. So it was interesting that I could still find the patterns occurring. I just had to follow. And some of the working girls would show me what they were doing. They would show me where they'd go. They'd show me which, you know, don't put your money into this pokey because you're never going to get a payout. And then another working girl goes, oh, no, I go down here. So what I noticed was it didn't matter which club they would be told where to go, what poker machine to put the money into. How can the police catch this? Very hard, very hard. Have you seen the odd people going to and from dinner? Because it's a much earlier night. Hi, Hi you, how are you? Well known to the police. When I bought it, 
It was the only building in New South Wales that had been declared a disorderly house by the New South Wales Police, which means that the police could enter it at any time without a search warrant. It was the only building that you could do that in, that the police could do that in New South Wales, because it had such a very colourful history. From a disorderly house, it's set to become Sydney's first Airbnb hotel. But Theo Onosperu's next development is set to raise the gentrification stakes even higher. My next development here in the suburb is I'm planning to build two, um, two terraces uh, nearby, very near here, uh, which I think will be worth um, about $15 million each when they're finished. From my point of view, the people that want to live in a $15 million terrace house will enjoy the fact that there is a diverse range of people living in the suburb. There we go. So King's Cross is changing. People are looking back and people are looking forward now uh, to the new King's Cross. But many of those that know the old King's Cross are still struggling to catch up with the change. Now, if you are in Sydney and you're looking for somewhere to go for entertainment and nightlife, King's Cross still offers you plenty of choices. And Jennifer, you still go down there these days. What's the latest in King's Cross? What's happening down there? Well, they've just got a new gin distillery opened up. I got told that's very good. There's a great couple of Thai restaurants. Most of the restaurants I've found have been really nice. I like a pizza shop that's down on Maclay Street. Uh, you know, Are the girls still there? Oh, there's not that many. Some of a lot of it's gone online now, so it's no longer in the street. The escorting and, and even the drug dealing, etc., a lot of it's gone onto the internet. Has that affected the cross? Yes, it has. The, the cross is virtually shut down. They're trying to make it clean. They're advertising it as though it's being reborn, it's clean. But the problem is that the most evil, evil gang still work in King's Cross. And if you've been listening to Jennifer over recent weeks, you'll know that the drugs still come in, the drugs still go out. The backpackers are alive and well when after COVID, well, they'll be back. Uh, there's still a backpack and tourist area. And as you just heard from the property developers, if you've got a spare 15 million, you'll be able to buy a terrace house uh, in King's Cross. Yes, and a lot of the private hotels down in Charlotte Avenue, Potts Point, they've been up for sale of late. But some of the rooftops coming for New Year's Eve will be the perfect spot. You'll be able to see sometimes the ads go online and sometimes they're wrapped around the telegraph poles of people selling their roof space for $50 or $100 for the hour or so for the um, fireworks that we're not allowed to gather for this year. Well, there we go, the gentrification. You're listening to Frankie Davidson. Who knows, with the gentrification and gated communities, uh, maybe some of these high flyers will put, you know, security gates up at the entrance to King's Cross to keep us all out so they can enjoy it to themselves. But the days of the old King's Cross have gone, so please enjoy them while you can. Jennifer, have a great Christmas. We're going to go out here with the sound of Frankie Davidson. Do you want to give us a last parting comment? Oh, I don't know. King's Cross is always part of Sydney. It will always be here. Even if it's um, the drug network is cleaned up, yes, putting gates at the front of King's Cross and rebuilding the attractions are what's needed. You used to have a slot car 
racetrack in one of the places and people would come from wide and far to drive those. You know, where, where's that now? Where's that sort of fun? Well, let's hope the developers and the high society, the top end of town, don't take over too much because it is a community area. It was a place, as Jennifer said, where people would come together and that's why Frankie has written this song. Have a great Christmas. My name is Greg Kerr. We'll see you in the new year for some more episodes of Whistleblowers.